0: Hey guys, my name is Alex Sheets, I'm one of the college ministers here, and uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, good. Can you hear me in the back? Can you hear me in the back? We're going to be loud. We're going to be old church today. Um, guys, so grateful, so grateful to have you here. I just I just think this is really cool um, that we got so many people here that come and, and we're willing to sit in the humidity and hear God's word together. So. I'm grateful for you guys showing up, and I'm grateful for the chance of what I get to do. Um, Today, we are in our Exodus series, and this is chapter 1 of Exodus. And the idea that we're going to be going for today is that God keeps His promises. That God is a promise maker, and that God is a promise keeper. So my goal, we're going to start walking through the context of Exodus, and then we're going to take a small dip into Genesis. So Exodus and Genesis, get a little two-part of today. The and then finally we'll take a break and we'll work on applying it in the next half. The idea is that God is a promise keeper. That God keeps his word. And our culture doesn't really value promises very much. Because the idea is that prom- promises can be cheap. Talk is cheap. We are a type of people that want to see follow through. We, we hear promises all the time. Um, there's, there's a famous example of uh, George H.W. Bush, so not George, what is it? George W, J., not J.W., uh, but his dad. Um, he famously made a statement, that says, Read my lips, no more taxes. And then, like, within the span of a year, like, that's all he did. Like, our culture, we know promises and we know promises that have not been kept. Uh, another example, uh, Hitler promised to not to stop with Czechoslovakia and then as you can see, the shenanigans that unfolded. People can say anything. People shenanigans, that's World War II. That's my PC of saying World War II. Um, we experience people that do not keep their word all the time. Um, maybe they, they say they're going to meet you at a coffee shop. They say they're going to come over and then they flake out on you. Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little guilty of this. Um, but my reason is because of my memory, because I have something that's called early onset dementia, I'm just kidding. I don't have that, but sometimes I feel like I have that because I'll get a text message at times and people will be like, Hey, I got a seat at Aspen. And I'll be like, I'll be right there. <laughs> I just forget. Keeping our word. There's a lot of people in our culture who struggle with keeping our word. So when you find someone that keeps their promises, it is very, very valuable to us. When I think of someone who keeps their promises, who is a man of his word, I think of my grandpa way back in the day. My grandpa, he had a phrase. He said, a man is only as good as his word." A man is only as good as his word. And the cool thing is he really, really followed through with that. If he said he was going, he'd be somewhere. If he said he'd, he'd be there at, at 3.30, he would show up two hours earlier. Like I remember being in elementary school and looking outside at one o'clock, I'm supposed to get picked up at 3.30 and I see my grandpa just waiting, just waiting outside to keep his word. A man is only as good as his word. Does that thought apply to God? Does God keep his word? Is God good for his word for what he says to us? Is God a promise keeper? That's our question tonight. And my answer is going to be yes. Fundamentally, radically yes. And knowing this at the very beginning helps us understand the why of Exodus, why Exodus happened. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus 1, we'll start walking through it. But the background of Exodus, why Exodus happened, the background of Exodus is Genesis in two main ways. Genesis and Exodus have great continuity with each other, where Genesis ends, Exodus picks up. It ends on the Joseph story that Joseph and his family went down to Egypt. And then the the words of Exodus, the first word is and in Hebrew. It just shows that there's great continuity, that whatever Genesis is saying, Exodus is continuing. But the background of Exodus specifically is one moment in Genesis when God made a promise to one of his friends, Abraham, who's called a friend of God. And he said, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will be there for you. You will be my people and I will be your God. It is a promise that he makes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But for now, let's start walking through Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1 begins with the people of God from Israel, right where Genesis left off. And here's what it says, chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. When they first went in, there were 70 people. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But verse 7, But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, and multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. that text is echoing the blessing that God gives it to Adam at the very beginning. Go be fruitful and multiply. But it's showing for our time that God is keeping His word. He told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you can see it right there, verse 7. They're increasing rapidly. They're multiplying and they're experiencing the blessing of God. God is following through. But there's trouble that happens. Trouble is right around the corner for these people. Just as the blessing of God is coming, another person steps into the scene. Verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph, Pharaoh... Came to power in Egypt, he said to his people, "Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country." So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But verse 12, the more they oppressed them the more they multiply and spread. Even as oppression is happening, God is blessing them through it. The the, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor and brick and mortar and all the kinds of field works. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on him. God is fulfilling his promise. God is being what he said to Abraham. And then opposition begins to step in. You see Pharaoh. Pharaoh is one of the main bad guys in the Old Testament. Um, The idea of Pharaoh is it was a king who did not just view himself as a king. It was a king that viewed himself as the incarnation of God in Egypt. So what he said was not just law. What he said was divine. And Pharaoh, this Egyptian god-king begins to oppose God's actual work in Israel. A big point that you will see in Exodus is that Exodus is not about Egypt versus God. Exodus is about Pharaoh versus God, a man who tries to oppose what God is blessing his people through. His opposition continues in three steps. Step one was enslavement of an entire race. But as you can see in verse 12, the more that they were oppressed, the more they were multiplied and spread, which for those of you guys that have read the New Testament, sounds a lot like the way God deals with the church. As oppression happens, God's blessing happens through that. On to step two of Pharaoh's plan. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shiprah, and the second whose name was Hua, some good kids' names for you if you ever need those. Shipra and Pua. When 16, Pharaoh said to them, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? And I just like this. I like these moments in the Bible. These little jokes. Because this has got to be irony here in verse 19. The midwives, these two women, these two peasant class women speaking to the king, the god king of Egypt, they said, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous. And they give birth before the midwives can get there. It's like, man, these, these women are tough. I don't know what to do. They're just popping babies out, I don't know. That's in your Bible. It's right there. But that's my phrase. That's my phrasing. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous since the midwives feared God. He gave them families. Step two of Pharaoh's oppression of Israel was infanticide, the killing of male infants. And there's two reasons that this happened. To control the population, to keep the population down, but specifically for war. And this is interesting. The Bible Project, guys, they put it like this. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his purposes, to his own interests, that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. He looked at that decision and said, this is what we need to do for our country to flourish. And he went very low into killing male infants. And these two women, uh, Shipra and Buah, it's, it's, it's practical godliness. It's not just them saying they feared the Lord, it's they feared the Lord and they stood against Pharaoh Pharaoh himself who said, we're not going to go forward with what you societal pressure have put on us, and God bless them. A step two. And then step three of Pharaoh's plan is in verse 22. It's not just two midwives, it's everyone. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let the daughters live. You see a societal wide killing of children. This is the final act in what Pharaoh is going to do against God's people. And you can just see the escalation mounting in this. I just want to point out one thing right here. I know our culture has issues when it comes to the Old Testament. I know we're going to struggle with ourselves when we see God killing people. And it's going to happen in Exodus. But when the time comes, when God is working to bring His people out of slavery in this dark moment, when the time comes for God to take the lives of the firstborn in Egypt, I just want us to remember this moment. Who acted first in aggression? Who was oppressing the people of God? It was Pharaoh and Pharaoh's plans. And not only that, he threw them into the Nile. And water will play a huge part of the story of Exodus. The Nile is a big, is big in Egypt. It's, it floods periodically, um, and it allows people to have crops in the middle of the desert. Um, the Nile has been called the waters of life in Egypt. And so you see the waters of life for the Egyptians becoming the waters of death for the Hebrew people. Later in the story, when God acts, He will save His people through water. The very same thing that was death to them then becomes life. The waters become life to Hebrews, but they become death to the Egyptian army later on. Water is incredibly symbolic in our story. That's where our story starts. That's where Exodus is starting. And it's going to get very dramatic as we go on. Slavery of an entire race. Societal wide murder. Very dark. Very low point for the people of God. That as they cry out, Where are you God? Do you hear our prayers? You said you would be there with us. But that's not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story... Of Exodus occurs 100 years before when God said to Abraham I will be your God and you will be my people I will watch over you I will protect you and I will bless you I will keep you from harm Genesis twenty-two sixteen 16 and 18 has been called the Abrahamic Covenant where God enters into a promise with one man based completely on God's self he says, "I swear by myself," declares the Lord, "that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son and your only son—it comes after the story of Isaac—I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and though your offspring and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed me." These people will be my people. I will be your God. I will protect you. I will bless you. You will be a blessing to all the nations. But notice that God makes this promise with Abraham based completely on himself. He doesn't say, Abraham, it's because you're so good. He doesn't say, "If if you just obey me and follow me, then I will keep my side of the bargain. God makes an unconditional promise. And he says, I swear by myself, by my name. I will be your God, and I will watch over you. Not based on what anything Abraham does. It's an unconditional promise to Abraham. And if you want to see how far God goes in giving these promises to Abraham, Genesis 15, he tells him exactly what's going to happen in the Exodus story. The Lord said to him, Genesis 15:13. You know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. For 400 years, you will have descendants. They will be mistreated and enslaved. But verse 14, But I will punish the nation they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possession. God knows what He is doing. And God is in control even in the dark moments of Exodus 1. He made promises to Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham, and he will keep his promises to him. He promises to multiply. You saw that in verse 7. Promises to protect and to bless. You see it in the beginning now, and we'll see it later, that God is a promise keeper, a promise maker, and a promise keeper. That is the why of Exodus. That is what we're going to be walking through as we go. But I have a question for us. We can say things like God is a promise keeper, that God makes promises and and keeps promises here. You know, it's nice to hear that in the 1400s BCE. But my question is, what about me? Is God faithful to promises to me? Does He keep His promises that He makes to us? And that is going to be our question moving into the second half. Let's take a short break and then we'll come back together afterwards. Talking about promises. And promises are important. They're important in our culture. They're important for society. They're important for friendship. To know that we're dependable people, that we are men and women of our word, that we are there for each other, that we're going to be what we say. Promises are very important. One author, Jen Wilkin, writes, not many things are more comforting than a promise is made and kept, and not many things are more hurtful than a promise broken. We've experienced that. But then she goes on to say, knowing we worship a God who keeps his promises are a source of great joy, deep joy. To know that God is a God of his word, that he is a promise keeper, can give us joy and peace in our relationship with him. You see that in Genesis. God promised Abraham, I will make you a nation, I will bless you and I will protect you, and then you will see that walk out in Exodus. But this isn't just something that's for Bible times, that are good stories back then, that have no touch to history at all. These are stories that can keep over into us because we know who God is, that God is a promise maker. And so I wanted to spend this time walking through some of the promises that God has given us today. That you and I, as Christians who follow God, can know that God has said this to us, and we can believe in Him. That's what I'm going to do for this section. But before I do that, I just want to spend some time walking through some common mistakes that people make when it comes to promises in the Bible. Because there's all kinds of different uh, spectrum when when it comes to the promises. Some people say they don't apply to us at all. And some people say every single thing that God says applies. And that gets into what's called health and wealth gospel. And so I just want to spend some time walking through. As we are thinking on this, here is what our limits are. Number one, common mistakes when it comes to the promises of God. Using a promise manipulatively. Using a promise manipulatively. As if God were a genie, as if his words were meant for us that he is made to serve me and not the other way around. God does not exist for us, we exist for him. We can't use God's promises as blank slates to do whatever we want. One example of this is Matthew 18, which has two issues, but we can't get into both of them, But. Uh, Matthew 18 where two or three are gathered I am with you both misapplies the text that it's not actually about prayer where two or three are gathered I am with you and and prayer is the thinking Um, but it also manipulates a promise that every time we're together God will be with us no matter what it's not what Matthew 18 is about it manipulates the promise step two or I guess principle two confusing a promise With a principle. Confusing a promise with a principle. A promise is something that is always fulfilled in the Bible. If God says this, and I'm going to do it, it will happen. A principle is is a general truth. Like, it, it kind of goes this way. Like, look before you leave, and it will go better for you in life. That's a principle. The book of Proverbs is often mistaken for a book of promises, when in fact, it is a book of principles. So when we read in places of of Scripture that that those are promises for me, we're misapplying what God has said because He never meant them to be a promise in general. Number three, ignoring the context of the original promise. Sometimes the promises of God are only meant for a specific people group in a specific time. So when God promises to Abraham land and offspring and then we come in and say, yeah, just like God promised Abraham, he's promising me too. So I can just go, I don't know, buy all the land If I don't know what you would do after that. That's that's overextending our expectations because God promised that to Abraham. There's three principles to keep in mind as we go. But I do believe that God makes promises and he makes promises to you and to me so that we can know him deeper and we can fellowship with him greater. So I have seven promises that God has given you as Christians that you can know that God will keep his word. And I'm going to walk through these. There's seven. I got the text on the screen. And I just want to go slow and let us reflect on some of them. The promises of God that can be applied to your life. Number one, God promises to forgive you your sins. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises that if you come to Him, He will forgive you. Because He is merciful. Number two, God promises to never forsake you. To never forsake you or leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Keep your life free from money and be content with all you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do for me? Because God will not forsake us. Number three, God promises to provide a way out of temptation. That when we are struggling, when we are walking, we're trying to walk the walk with Jesus, and we're having these temptations to lead us aside. God says that every time you experience that, I will be with you and give you a way out. You are not too weak to be overcome. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will strengthen you; you will not fall if you walk in him. Number four, God promises to hear your prayers. God promises that when you come to him, he will listen to you. Which is just this is a cool thought. Like I don't know when the last time that you've reflected on on prayer and what it means to be a praying person, but when, when God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth, says, if you speak to me, I will listen to you. If you are in Jesus, you have a direct line to the Father, and I will listen to you every time. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that we can ask Him anything according to His will, According to his will, there's our context, there's our no manipulation. And he hears us. God promises to hear our prayers. Number I think I'm at six. I actually I got lost. Five. Number five. God promises to work all things for your good. To work all things everything that happens God promises that he can and will work it for your good Romans 8 28 says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes God says I am here I will redeem I will be with you in all times but he defines your good as looking like Christ Jesus. He does not define it as you having an easy life and getting whatever you want. He defines, I will redeem everything and I will make you look like Christ Jesus, which is what you were made for. He promises that. There is nothing that will happen that can lead you away that is too big for God to redeem. It's a promise. Number six. God promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall not perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That you in Christ are secure. And finally, number seven, God promises to finish the good work that He has started in you. So that when you come to him or when you came to him as a seven-year-old and you're walking in him, God has promised that he will see it through Philippians 1:6, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to a day of completion in Christ Jesus. What he started, what he started, no matter if it was years ago, for me as a, as a seven-year-old, What he could be starting in you now, Jesus promises to see it through to the day of Christ Jesus if you continue to walk in him. Those are the promises that God gives us. There's more, but those are some of the major ones. The promises that God gives us to fulfill. But once again, I want to restate this that our culture doesn't value promises alone. Talk can be cheap. We need something that's trustworthy. We need someone that that walks the walk and talks the talk. And so how trustworthy, how trustworthy is that list of seven that I gave you, of the promises of God? How reliable is God on His Word? In each of your car, there is a mileage meter. And... The idea of that is it just keeps track as you go on, as you drive all over the place in college, you're going all over the place, you're just racking up the mileage. Um, It keeps track and it shows you, over time, how much miles that's been on it. Bad cars, they break pretty early. Good cars, really dependable cars, they go for a long time, but the idea is that eventually they wear down. That's the nature of things everything will wear down. The more reliable something is, the more it can stand the test of time. So how reliable are God's promises? He made these 2,000 years ago. Do they stand the test of time? Do they they keep on now? Will they keep on when I'm 70? Listen to Jesus' words. And he talks about the word of God. how reliable and how dependable it is he says heaven and earth will pass away all that you see will pass away but my words to you will never pass away that what god has said jesus says it is everything it will not pass away the grass withers the flowers fall but the word of the lord remains forever What God has promised is as reliable as the sun coming up the next day. We can depend on that. And if you take Jesus at His words, He would say that God's words are more dependable than the next sunrise. Because it is based on God's unchanging character that He is a God of promises, that He keeps what He says. That's what the authors of the Bible are trying to get you. This is called faith. This is called trust. That you see who God is. That He is a person that can be trusted, that keeps His words. Look at Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, the title of it says, The Certainty of God's Promise. How how reliable, how confident can I be? He says, It is certain. Verse 13 goes like this. When God made His promise... To Abraham, Remember reading about that? Genesis 22, Genesis 15. When God made His promise all the way back then, 6,000 plus years ago. Since there was none greater for Him to swear by, He swore by Himself. He swore by His own name. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms that that what is said puts an end to an argument. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what is promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, and also, in parentheses, it is impossible for God to change. We, who have fled, take hold of the hope set before us, may be greatly encouraged. Verse 19, we have this hope, this hope in the promises of God as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered in for our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. How reliable are the promises of God to you and me? How reliable... do ships when they're on the sea have to depend on the anchor that keeps them from being battered and smashed by the storms. Ships believe that anchors will keep them safe and they do. It weighs them down, it grounds them where they are. The author of Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that your soul can be anchored in heaven, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And why do we have that hope? Why is God good in his word? He says, verse 20, because of Jesus. Jesus is there. Jesus is there to keep the promises that God has made. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the, of God's promises. If you walk through the Old Testament and just look at the hope, at the waiting that the people of God are having, Jesus is all of that encapsulated. And the author of Hebrews says, that hope waits for us in heaven for those that believe in him. It is the anchor of your soul. In Jesus, God has kept every promise that he has ever made. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything before, the yes to every promise, then and the yes to every promise now. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again to show you that he can be trusted, that God's word can be trusted, and Jesus can be trusted as well. I want to end our time with this quote from 2 Corinthians. When it talks about, is the promises of God true, then. Is the promises of God true? Now, can I trust God in my life? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, says this, for no matter how many promises that God has made throughout history, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. People of God trusted God then, and we can trust God now because he is a promise keeper. let right. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the students that come out here and we sit, I don't even know, 300 deep right now. Um, Lord, I just am grateful for the chance to open your word in Exodus, a dark time, that you are faithful through the midst of our darkness. God, I I pray for us that as we walk away from this, that we can know that you are a God who keeps his word. You kept his word to the Israelites. You kept your word in Jesus, and you will keep your word now. God, I pray for faith, and I pray for trust. Thank you for this night. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.